Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hi, it's Amy McDonald's here. Welcome to this edition of the Arsenal Audio Program. Arsenal versus Aston Villa Sunday, November the 8th 2020. Kickoff. 7.15 The contents The manager, Mikel Arteta The captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Voice of Arsenal Player feature, Ainsley Match action, Manchester United versus Arsenal Convertible currency Community Arsenal Academy 14 times Forward Arsenal my story. Visitors Aston Villa. Arsenal winning. Match action. Arsenal versus Mulder. My Arsenal. And teams. Manager's Notes. Mikel Arteta. It was a really positive result and performance on Thursday, and eventually our quality made the difference to get the win. We started the game really well against Mulder, getting into a lot of dangerous positions but without being clinical. Suddenly, out of nothing, they scored and we had to react. We stayed composed and as the game went on we were more and more efficient. Being able to rotate players the way we did and still have that level of performance was really pleasing. To change that many players and still get that chemistry and cohesion in the team is not easy and all the players who came in showed how much they want to play and showed us that they are a real possibility for our team. It gives me a lot of options. That's what you want as a manager, because our aim and objective this season is to fight for every single trophy. That's obviously a very tough ask, but I think now we have the numbers to do that. I think we have enough players to be able to maintain a really competitive squad. We're playing every three or four days at the moment, and you start to get injuries, suspensions, and whatever comes is going to get more and more complicated. This is our obligation, to try to compete in every competition, and we're going to be trying to do that until the end. Obviously, the circumstances will dictate how well we can do that. The players deserve a lot of credit for what they have achieved so far. It's all down to them, how they perform, and what they are able to achieve and do on the football pitch. I'm just here, another piece around the club to help them achieve as much as possible. I want to give them confidence, to pass on to them my idea of how we have to play, how we have to live together, how I understand this profession and I know how complicated it is. 
I've been in the job for 11 months. Almost four of them were sitting at home. So for my first job in management, I think it's been very special circumstances. We have tried to manage it in the best possible way. Since I started this job, we have had a lot of things going on and obviously that has taken up all of my time. Next week is the international break though, so if I can get one or two days, even if we cannot fly anywhere, I will try to do that. But at least we can spend some time away and I can dedicate some of my time to my family and my kids. I can try to disconnect, but at the moment it's not an easy thing to do. I don't think that's just for me, however. It's the same for everybody else too. So it has been intense lately, but my family are understanding about the situation. They have no choice. They are really supportive. We knew that when we accepted this challenge as a family, there are pros and cons, like in every decision that you make. You always have them, but I feel really privileged for the opportunity I have to manage this football club, and they are fully supportive with me, which is an incredible thing to have. When I used to play for Arsenal as well, not just myself, but I think all of us used to admire the capacity and the mental strength that you have to survive. Just to survive in this job for so long. When you talk about a club with these dimensions, to do it over so many years is an incredible achievement, and it shows the person and the character that you need to have to sustain and maintain with all that level of pressure. The demands and energy that you need to keep doing the job the way he did, he set an example there. Finally, we are proud to mark Remembrance Day today at Emirates Stadium. We do it at this time every year, and I think it's really important that English football continues to honour this important date in the right and respectful way. This club, of course, has a long history of links with the armed services, and it's our privilege to pay our respects to the fallen again this evening. Captain's Notes Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang We had to be patient on Thursday to get the win, but I thought the team did really well to get another three points and keep the momentum going. We were made to work hard, which we expected, because Mulder have got a lot of quality, and they showed lots of energy too, especially in the first half. We kept going though, and once we scored the equaliser just before half-time, we were really in control. It was great to see Joe Willock score his goal at the end as well, because if you talk about working hard, he did that for the whole game. He was involved in the first two goals as well, so he really deserved to score. It puts us in a really strong position in the group now, with three games left, and we can hopefully carry on our form against Villa tonight. They look really strong so far this season. The last time we played them was really difficult, and maybe it will be even more difficult this time. They've also got Emmy in there as well now, so it will be a tough game for sure. They always come looking to win, which means we will have to manage the game well and keep the high level of intensity that we had against Man United last week. I'm looking forward to seeing Emmy again. I'm sure he knows some things about me for training so often together, but don't worry about that. He knows a lot of things, but let's just say that things can change on the day of the game but Emmy is a great keeper and a great guy as well. Actually, it was funny because he sent me a message that said, Maybe you will get a penalty against me, but I will save it. I said, OK, be ready for the chip then. As I said, Villa look really strong, and they have a striker, Ollie Watkins, 
who is having a good first season at this level. It reminds me of when I first played at the top level and first felt that pressure of being the team's main striker. It's hard. It can be really hard. Everyone is looking at you and expecting something from you. That's not easy at first. There is a lot of pressure to deal with. I remember those days when I was playing in France. I had a few seasons where I didn't score goals, and that's where you need to be strong mentally. Everyone is looking at you and saying, maybe he's not going to be the guy we expected him to be. At that time you need to be strong, be patient and work hard. So that's what I was about. I focused on my game and worked on scoring goals. I took a lot of time after training to take the reserve goalkeeper and practice shots from all sorts of different positions and angles. Then it came. I changed when I went to Saint-Étienne. The coach there gave me some confidence with a few games, then I started to score goals, and that was it. It can happen to anyone. I think it's about confidence and also mentality. When things start to get hard, that's when you need to be positive and change things for the better. You do that by working, being patient, and accepting the criticism when it comes because they are waiting for you to score goals. I must say I like that pressure now. I like the responsibility, and I like it even more as captain. It's now been a year since I became Arsenal captain, and I think it has changed me as a player in that time. You feel a lot of responsibilities, and I think I am trying to give absolutely everything I've got in every single game. Maybe before, even though it wasn't done on purpose, maybe I was a little bit less concerned on certain games for whatever reason, but now I am just focusing on every game, trying to give all I've got. Even if I'm on the bench, I try to scream and help my teammates, so yes, I think it has changed me. I think an important part of the job is to always be positive and to help everybody else be relaxed and positive too. Sometimes you can have bad days and be in a bad mood, so you have to try to change it into positive things. I find it easy for me to make people happier. I can lift people up like that. I can say it's part of my job as captain, but I do it naturally too. There are a few things about being captain that I didn't realise you needed to do before I had the armband. One of them is having to speak to the referee before the game. That's very different for me, because usually I like to be in the dressing room at that time. I like to get focused in the changing room in my own way, by dancing around usually. But when I go to see the referee for the briefing with the other captain and the two coaches, it is a serious moment. I enjoy that responsibility though, and I like representing my teammates like that. That's the only thing different, really. There are more positive things I like to do as captain, like taking the lead on the pitch and using your voice when it matters. Off the pitch, I know I need to be an example for everyone. It's funny, because if I need to go to the gym to work on my upper body, for example, I have to go first, because then everyone else will follow. The guys in the gym are waiting for me, and they say to me, if you come, then everyone else will come too. You know that? I find it funny like that, but I like it. I like the responsibility it brings. 
Finally, as captain, I'm proud to be part of the club's Remembrance Day activities on behalf of the whole squad. We all know how important this day is each year, not just here, but all over the world, and we will make sure that Arsenal always remembers this. The voice of Arsenal. Arsenal remembers. Today's match takes place on Remembrance Sunday, as we mark 75 years since the end of World War II. We are proud to once again be supporting the Royal British Legion's poppy appeal, and we will honour the service and sacrifice of our armed forces who came together and defend our way of life then, but also those who continue to do today. In a show of support, our players will once again wear the special edition shirts embroidered with the poppy, as they did against Manchester United last weekend. After the match, these will be made available to purchase in an auction, with all proceeds going to the Legion. The Premier League's Poppy Appeal support has seen more than 2.3 million raised for the Legion since the partnership began back in 2012. Due to the current restrictions, a recording of the last post will be played via the screens inside Emirates Stadium, ahead of the moment's silence before kick-off. The Legion's work is more vital than ever this year, as the charity supports communities throughout additional hardships due to the COVID-19 pandemic. From those struggling with social isolation, financial difficulties and unemployment, to those who have lost loved ones or are faced with the threat of homelessness. To donate to this year's Poppy Appeal, or for more details on the match-worn shirt auction, please go to www. PremierLeague.com forward slash poppy. We will remember them. The following footballers who played for Arsenal and Aston Villa perished during the World Wars. We will always appreciate and honour the sacrifice they made for their country. Arsenal. Spencer Bassett. Bert Beanie. Henry Cook. Bobby Daniel. Bill Dean. Joseph Dines. Hugh Glass, Robert Houston, John Flanagan, Leslie Lack, James Maxwell, Albert Maynard, Billy Parr, Sid Pugh, Charles Randall, Herbie Roberts, Dick Ruse, Cyril Toos, Albert Wilcock, Aston Villa, Walter Kimberley, Henry Dobson, Billy Gerrish, Private Albert Rogers, Dick Ruse, Lieutenant J. Watkins, Gunner William Boker, and M. Armstrong. We will remember them. Enjoy your day, Sue. A special club guest to the director's box tonight is a staff member who has barely missed a match for over 30 years. Sue Campbell, the club's head of travel, events and supporter liaison, is shortly embarking on a very well-earned retirement. And today's match represents her last as an Arsenal employee. Although, as a lifelong fan, I'm sure we'll still see plenty of Sue at matches in the future. When she'll be as passionate as any one of our 60,000 fans that we can't wait to welcome back in the stadium. 
Thanks so much for your dedication and passion during your 32 years as an Arsenal employee, Sue. You have represented the club across the Arsenal world with great class and distinction. We will miss you. Sue's Arsenal story featured in the Man City programme last season. If anyone wishes to dip back into their programme collection, we also have a tweet, the feature, on the programme's Twitter feed. Lehman on the pod. If you've been enjoying the second series of our podcast series in lockdown, so far you won't want to miss next week's show, when our outspoken Jans Lehman will be our guest. We've had to split the interview with Jans into two parts as he went into such detail about his time at the club. The first part will be available to download on Tuesday, November the 10th, and the second half is released a week later. You can find them from usual podcast providers, and don't forget all our previous shows are still available. Double Golden Boot winner and twice league champion Alan Smith features on the current episode. Previous interviewees include Nicholas Bentner, Pierre Mertesacker, and Alex Haleb, while Dennis Burkamp and Jack Wilshire were among those to be interviewed on the first series. The lockdown is available from your regular podcast provider, and be sure to click subscribe so you automatically receive new episodes straight to your device. Ref Watch. Today's ref is Martin Atkinson, who is officiating his first Arsenal match this season. Last season, Martin was our main man in the middle three times away from home, a 3-2 defeat at Chelsea, a 2-2 draw against Crystal Palace and a 3-1 defeat at Manchester City. He's been a Premier League referee since 2004-2005 and his first Gunners game was a notable one. On April the 1st, 2006 at Highbury, when Emmanuel Adibayor, Thierry Henry, Robert Perez and Abu Dhabi scored in a 5-0 win over today's visitors, Aston Villa. This superb picture of Martin taking the ball to the centre kick before it was taken by Mike King. A great friend of the club, a fantastic photographer who is sadly no longer with us, was part of the shots Mike took back during the Highbury's final salute. Program ITK The issue's ultimate stats were provided by our good friends at Opta. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has scored 62.5% of his Premier League goals on Sundays, 35 in 43 games on Sunday, 21 in 49 games in all other days. We have won our last three home games against Aston Villa by an aggregate score of 12-2. However, only Chelsea 5 Man City and Man United, four each, have won more Premier League away games at the Emirates than Villa have won three. Aston Villa's 1-0 win against us at Villa Park in July ended a run of seven straight defeats against the Gunners in all competitions, across which I had conceded 23 goals. Thinking of you, Paul, it is with great concern that the club recently learned of Paul Mariner's battle against a serious health condition. The f- former forward had an operation to remove a brain tumour last week and is now at home in Suffolk recovering. Thankfully, he tweeted, I'm fighting and have incredible people looking after me. Uh, the club would like to add this fulsome support to Paul in his current battle. The England international joined the Gunners in February 1984 from Ipswich Town and played for us for just over two seasons before heading to Portsmouth in August 1986. He scored 17 goals in 70 games for Arsenal. Get well soon, Paul. Congratulations to Harry, 
It was a big night for Arsenal loanee Harry Clark on Tuesday. The 19-year-old was playing in his fifth match for Harry Q's Oldham Athletic and with 84 minutes on the clock in their League 2 game against Cheltenham, the ball broke to Harry in the penalty area after a corner and he slammed home the Latic's second goal to win the game 2-1. There's a lot more on our low knees at Strong Young Gunners section in tonight's programme. And finally, Arsenal remembers. Audrey White, October the 18th, 1933, to October the 18th, 2020. An Arsenal fan for over 80 years sadly passed away. Will never be forgotten. Rest in peace, beautiful lady. Macaulay Wood, December 7th, 1996, to October 17th, 2020. A die-hard gunner, gone, but never forgotten. We love you, bro. Arsenal forever. Darren Mayo, March the 5th, 1966, to October 6th, 2020. The man, the legend, the Mayo. Arsenal through and through will be sadly missed by all his family and friends. Rest in peace. Player feature, Ainsley. Players often talk about the importance of starting a season quickly, hitting the ground running and building momentum early. Well, Ainsley, Maitland Niles took that approach to new heights this season with an unforgettable opening day of the 2020-21 campaign. Selected to start the Community Shield against newly crowned champions Liverpool, the Academy product was named Man of the Match for his performance over the 90 minutes then coolly dispatched a penalty in the shootout before getting his hands on a second trophy inside a month. Later that evening, he was then called up to the England squad for the very first time. Oh, and that day, August 29th, also happened to be Ainsley's birthday. So it's been an eventful first few weeks of the season for our versatile youngster, and the match day programme caught up with him recently to reflect upon it all. It was a great start to the season for you, starting with your display in the Community Shield. How important is it for you to start a new campaign with such momentum? Yeah, it was good. Obviously, we didn't have a long break, and off the back of a long season last year, to come into form like that, and especially to win a trophy that day, and with it being my birthday, was just a fantastic feeling. Then everything has rolled on from then. But to be honest, I haven't had time to stop and think about it much. I've just tried to put my mind in the right place and go for it. There was uncertainty at the start of the season, though. You were linked with a move away from the club. Yes, there were some transfer rumours, but ultimately I decided to stay as an Arsenal player, and I'm really happy here. Now it's all about looking forward and concentrating on my future. I want to progress and keep moving forward. Did you speak much to Mikel about your future, though, and your role at the club? He has always been very clear with me. He told me what he needed from me while I was out of the squad, and I did what I needed to do to try to get back in the side, which I did for some big matches. And I'm going to continue to do that throughout the rest of the season, or until he tells me he's looking for something different tactically. You were also selected for England at the start of the season. How did you get told about that? It was a strange one. We had just won the game at Wembley, and then the coaches kept saying to me, check your phone, check your phone. But at that time I was still celebrating with the team and in the changing room. But then I looked and saw I had a message from Gareth Southgate to my surprise. 
It just said, I would normally call you, but I thought I'd drop you a text because I know you are celebrating with your teammates. So he just congratulated me on being picked and said he would see me in a couple of days. My dad was the first person I called, but he said, yeah, I already know. He knew before I did. All of Arsenal. Ainsley's full career stats with the Gunners. Under 18s, played 33, goal 7. Under 19s, played 16, goal 0. Under 21s, played 34, goals 4. Under 23, played 19, goal 0. CS, played 1, goal 0. LC, played 11, goals 1. FAC, played 12, goal 0. UEL, played 26, goals 1. UCL, played 1, goal 0. PL, played 57, goals 1. Total, played 210, goals 3. So, what was it like joining up with the England senior squad for the first time? How does it compare with being with the England youth sites? It's such a great honour to represent your country, so it was a proud moment. It's a different atmosphere from representing England at youth level. There are a lot more established players there. Players that you play against week in, week out. So it's a different type of feeling around the camp. It's very professional. Everybody knows they are there to do one job. You were the only Arsenal player there in that squad. So who did you hang around with mainly? Mostly Raheem Sterling, Jadon Sancho, Tammy Abraham. I don't think I was nervous. I just wanted to be myself and let people know who you are. That's what Gareth Southgate said to me when I joined up. He told me to be myself, express myself on the pitch, and do what I do at my club. He said that's why I was picked, because I was doing so well for my club, so don't change anything now. Ever since you broke through, you have said your preferred position is in midfield, but now you have even played full-back for the national team. Do you think that is your best position? No, I wouldn't say so. I still see myself as a midfielder. That's my preferred position. Of course I'm happy getting the recognition I've been getting lately at wingback. I've enjoyed it, but I'm still a midfielder, I think. You were then joined by Bukeo in the next England call-up. Did you show him the ropes? Yeah, it was great to see him there as well. I introduced him to the boys and told him to play his usual game. It was nice to be able to show him a few things and tell him about some of the rules that are in place. But it's fairly relaxed, and you get to do your own thing. Because of the Covid regulations and social distancing, it doesn't help with team bonding as much as you would like. But he got on with it and was brilliant. It showed on the pitch. He made his debut, and was fantastic for the minutes he was out there. Everyone was raving about him after the game, and saying how good they thought he was. Age is on his side as well, so there's a lot more to come. It's great to have two HLN products in the senior squad. Did you feel a sense of pride representing Arsenal youth? Yes, of course. It's been a long journey for both of us. We've both been at Arsenal since we were very, very young. So to achieve something like this, still at a young age, is a great feeling. We can both be very proud of what we've achieved so far. But I know there is more to come from both of us. For Arsenal lately, your penalties in the two shootout wins over Liverpool received a lot of coverage. Tell us about your laid-back technique.
Well, it's not just something that I've adopted recently. It's just a bit of my personality, how I am when I play football. I'm happy to show it on the pitch, and hopefully I will get called for more penalties so I can do it again. People ask how I stay so relaxed for them, but I just enjoy playing football, and I enjoy pressure moments. It's a happy moment for me, and I like getting the chance to show the world what I can do. Have you asked Alba if you can take them in a match? Ha ha, no. Of course, he's the captain and the penalty taker. But if he's not on the pitch, then possibly I'll be able to take them. But I want him to go and win the golden boot, so I'm never going to take an opportunity off him for him to score. Finally, we welcome Emmy Martinez back to Emirates today. Did he speak to you about leaving the club in the summer when he made his decision? Well, I've known Emmy for a very long time. We played in the youth team together as well, but his decision was more private. I know he spoke to his family about it, and he would have spoken to the manager about it too. We all wanted him to stay because he's such a great character in the dressing room and a great player on the pitch. We've seen that in his recent performances. He saved us a few times and helped us to win the FA Cup. So everyone was gutted to see him go because he's one of our own. But we all wish him the best now as well. Born, Good Mays, August 29th, 1997. Joined Arsenal as a full-time scholar in July 2013. Other clubs, Ipswich Town, Lone. Debut, versus Galatasaray, away, Champions League, December 9th, 2014, 1-4-1. First goal, versus Liverpool, away, Premier League, December 29th, 2018, lost 5-1. Internationals, three caps for England. Follow me, follow Ainsley on Instagram, at Maitland Niles. Premier League Match Day 7 4.30pm Sunday, November 1st Old Trafford Manchester United 0 Arsenal 1 First half We were positive from the start snapping into tackles and closing down well and a first sight of goal came when the overlapping Hector Bellerin fizzed a low ball across just ahead of the sliding Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But it was United who had the first shot on target when Mason Greenwood drew a smart low save from Bernd Leno. We kept driving forward. Alexandre Lacazette had the ball nicked off his toes inside the area when he was about to pull the trigger, while Willian fired against the bar after a neat 1-2 with Aubameyang. But the best chance of the half came late on, when Buki Osaka headed over from in front of goal, set up by Bellerin's pinpoint cross. Second half. Aubameyang sent a shot just wide at the start of the second half before Thomas Partey stung David De Gea's palms. We certainly deserved the lead when it came. We had been knocking at the door and finally went ahead from the penalty spot. Bellerin was brought down in the area by Paul Pogba and Aubameyang strode up to tuck home from 12 yards and end a personal five-game scoreless run in the Premier League. We came under much more pressure in the final 10 minutes and United hit the post late on when a Donny van der Beek shot pinballed off Mohamed Elneny, burned Leno and then the upright. But we hang on to record our first Premier League win at Old Trafford since 2006. Convertible Currency 
football historian John Sperling looks at the evolution of Arsenal players' positions, past and present. Story of success. Peter Story's Arsenal career began fairly innocuously. Born in Farnham, he turned professional in 1961 and made his first team debut four years later against Leicester City. Originally, he was a right-back and, along with Bob McNabb on the left, gained rave reviews for his performance in Bertie Mee's up-and-coming side. Some believe that it would have been better for his career if he'd stayed in his original position. Indeed, Alf Ramsey later picked him for his country at right-back. Story possessed all the attributes required of a modern full-back, good pace, crossing ability, and a knack of overlapping with the winger in order to cause damage down the right-hand side. His consistency meant he quickly became a fixture in the side, but already his fearsome tackling was gaining him notoriety in the old First Division. In Ralph Fenn's 1967 history of Arsenal, entitled Arsenal, Chapman to me, he noted, He tackles like a tiger, leaving behind a string of devastation, akin to the rampaging of a hungry animal in a flock of sheep. Following the Gunners League Cup final defeats in 1968 and 1969, Bertie Mee and Don Howe assessed the weaknesses in the team, and in the aftermath of the loss against Don Reeves' team, the pair realised they needed more steel in midfield, but the question was, who would provide it? For the time being, Story carried on in the right-bank berth, but come the 1970-71 season, He'd been converted into the most fearsome of midfielders, and the classic anti-footballer image was born. At Goodison Park on August 15, 1970, Everton captain Alan Ball, resplendent in white boots, was sent sprawling by a robust story challenge, and this set the tone for the rest of the campaign. In 71 Guns, David Tossel's excellent account of the 70-71 campaign Story confessed that he didn't even enjoy the enforcer role. I'd have far rather played a more positive type of game, he admitted. This made it even worse for the opposition, as he was in such a foul mood during matches. Snouty, as we called him, would do anything to put off an opposition player, recalled former Gunners skipper Frank McClintock. He'd grunt, snort, make noises. He was as difficult a competitor as there could be in that era. There were a raft of hard men in that era, including the recently departed Nobby Stiles and Norman Bite Your Legs Hunter, as well as Ron Chopper Harris and Snouty Story, occasionally known as Cold Eyes, played a pivotal role in the Gunners' double winning season. As well as taking on midfield berth, me and Howe also gave him responsibility for dispatching spot kicks. He was ideally suited to the task. Teammates noticed that during the 70-71 season, his concentration levels were intense. Impossible to put off his game, Bob Wilson later commented. Story's ice-cool nerves helped ease Arsenal through the early rounds of the FA Cup, and at Portsmouth in the fourth round, he smacked the ball hard past Pompey goalkeeper John Milkins. 
but it was during the epic 71 semi-final with Stoke City that Storey became the unlikeliest of saviours, 2-0 down after 70 minutes, and with their double dreams in tatters, Storey blasted home a half-volley from outside the box to give Arsenal hope. A minute into injury time, the Gunners were awarded a penalty, at which point the relieved Gunners' players celebrated. It was all very well, them jumping around with their excitement. I still had to take the penalty and stick it past Gordon Banks, too. Story thumped the penalty straight down the middle, bagged Arsenal a replay, which they won comfortably, and this converted fullback had saved the day and altered the course of the club's modern history. Nigel left to play right back. When Nigel Winterburn, one of the most left-footed of players, arrived at Highbury in the summer of 1987, George Graham warned him that he might not initially play regularly in his favoured left-back slot. Winterburn explained, I was bought as a long-term replacement for Kenny Sansom, but Kenny was virtually unmovable during the 1987-88 season. To give the disappointed Winterburn playing time, Graham played him on several occasions at right-back after young Mickey Thomas was converted to a midfield role. George was trying to sort out his system and the right players to move the club forward, but I think that both George and I knew that in the long term I was no right-back. Winterburn played at right-back in the 1988 League Cup final against Luton and missed a penalty as Arsenal lost 3-2. By the start of the following season, he'd gained the left-back berth after Sansom departed Highbury, and remained there for over a decade as part of the Gunners' famous back four. The four photographs in the hard copy with this article have the following captions. Peter's story looms over the crumpled figure of fellow hardman Norman Hunter. An uncomfortable Wembley afternoon at right-back against Luton. High school story dispatches a famous penalty past Stokes's Gordon Banks. But Winterburn went on to excel on the left and lifts silverware galore. Arsenal in the community. The B-Tech Level 3 A-Level equivalent sits alongside the Arsenal Gap Year Scheme to offer a range coach education opportunities. Combining education alongside the opportunity to gain invaluable practical coaching experience, it gives students a great platform for further development within the football coaching environment. From the course's base at the Arsenal Hub next to Emirates Stadium, Participants will gain the necessary knowledge and skills to progress towards higher education or employment. The students returned after their summer break, having continued with academic delivery throughout the COVID-19 lockdown, with a blended learning timetable in place. The students have a weekly mix of online, face-to-face and practical delivery. An example of units covered throughout the course is atomony and physiology, sports psychology, current issues in sport and sports nutrition, sports injuries rehabilitation and fitness testing. The full-time course helps students give the key elements of community sports coaching with a particular focus on football 
Students will also receive coaching experience, will be mentored towards a variety of FA qualifications. We would like to take this opportunity to welcome the new first-year students who started with us in September 2020. Our former students. In 2018 to 2020, the intake completed their qualification with us in July this year. They were a highly motivated group that became one of our highest achieving years. 45% of the students obtained triple distinction star, highest grade possible, and 50% are attending their first choice university. We wish you all the best with your chosen pathways. If you would like any information on the level three course please contact martin davis at mdavis at arsenal.co.uk or for an overview of the course go to all the w's.arsenal.com forward slash the arsenal student developing strong young gunners in this issue Young Gun, Luke Plonge. Match reports, two wins for the under-18s. News, catching up with our loanees. Remember, Steffi Mavididi. Stats, results and fixtures. Young Gun, Luke Plonge, talking to Aidan Small. I've been at Arsenal for the last ten years now, and I'm so proud that I can call this place home. I remember being approached by Chelsea and Crystal Palace at a young age, but as a childhood gooner, when Arsenal came calling, it was a dream come true. I didn't need any time to make my decision. I was playing in the Sunday League tournament at the time, and after putting in a few good performances, they invited me along to a trial, and I've been here ever since. Arsenal picked me up as a number nine at the time, and I'm still playing in that role for the under-18s today. If I had to describe my style of play, I'd like to think that I'm a mobile and modern number nine who likes to make runs in behind, link up with my teammates and find myself in the right places at the right time in the box. When I'm bringing others into play, I'm always looking to find space in the final third around the edge of the penalty area. But as number nine, I've also got the side of me that loves getting in the area to sniff out chances that's been a part of my game for as long as I can remember. I just love poaching in the box. But I guess one of my favourite types of goal to score is making a run in behind, coming inside from the wing and hitting it into the far corner. It's good to have those trademark goals in your locker and I've done it a few times over the past year now. I've had a few idols over the years, but my first football hero was Cristiano Ronaldo. Even when he was at United in the early years, I just loved the way that he asserted himself on the pitch and the variety of goals he scored. He could cut in from the left, cut in from the right, score from distance, set pieces, headers, everything. I love that as a number nine. Another striker I really admire is Robert Lewandowski. He's up there as the best pure nine in the world right now, and it's because he can do it all. Yes, he can score bags of goals, but it's the way he brings others into play with his passing and hold-up play that takes him to the next level. He's involved in everything that Bayern Munich do. That's a really important characteristic if you want to be a successful striker at Arsenal, because we place such emphasis on playing football in a certain way. You need to be more than just a goal scorer. 
and I think that can only be a good thing for the development of a player. Whenever I'm watching football and they're playing a striker I like, I'll just fix my eyes on them and watch all their intricate movements throughout the game. You can learn so much from just watching a player, and I always try to add those little details to my game. As for our season so far in the Under-18 Premier League, I think we're in a really good position right now. We made an inconsistent start to the season, winning games in style and playing some great football, only to throw away the next game in a really frustrating fashion. But our manager, Ken Gillard, was always really positive that we could turn it around and find consistency. We continued working on loads of little details and with each training session we started to learn more and more about the strengths and weaknesses of our teammates. And that's really important on the pitch if you want to put together a string of results. Reflecting on my own individual performances, I'm happy with how I'm performing right now. I started the season really strongly and had one inconsistent game against Tottenham, which was frustrating. But I think there are plenty of positives to take. In my opinion, my best performance of the season came in our 3-1 win over West Brom when I scored twice. Everything clicked for me that day, and all the finer details that I've been working on at the training ground came to fruition. It was a really strong team performance too. Now I just want to keep working hard to put points on the board in the league. I've set myself a few personal targets for the season too. But above all else, I'd love to make my debut for the under-23s. I need to keep doing my job for the team and then hopefully those chances will come. Born, Kingston-upon-Thames, 4th of November 2002. Joined Arsenal, 2010. Height and weight. 74 kilos, 6 foot 1 inch. Position, striker. Luke Planche. Lowdown. Earliest football memory. Training in the park with my dad at three. First footballer I looked up to, Cristiano Ronaldo. Favourite football shirt I've owned. Arsenal away kit, 2012. Team supported as a child. Arsenal and Real Madrid. Best goal of all time. Ronaldo's against Porto. Best goal I've scored. Top corner against West Ham last season. Best player I've faced. Gabriel in training. My best game. Scoring 13 goals against AC Milan under 13s. Best moment of my career. Scoring the winner in the under 14 Albert Phelan Cup versus Fulham. The one stadium I'd like to score in. The Bernabeu. One type of goal I'd like to score, overhead kick. A player to score a one-on-one to save my life, Cristiano Ronaldo. Best training ground tip I've been given, keep your head up despite the circumstances. Another sport I'm good at, athletics. Favourite training drill, shooting practice. The important non-playing attributes for young footballers. To study a world-class player in your position. Biggest lesson learnt off the pitch at Arsenal. How to keep a positive mindset in negative circumstances and stay calm in high-pressure situations. You. Favourite footballer of all time, Cristiano Ronaldo. Favourite follow on Instagram, Kevin Hart. Most played Spotify artists, Lil TJ. Best footballing attribute, scoring with left, right and head. One thing I need on an away day. 
phone and earphones. One thing I want to do in my football career, win the Champions League. If I wasn't a footballer, I'd be a tennis player. People don't know. I have Brazilian and Italian heritage. Rate yourself. Speed, 85. Shooting, 93. Dribbling, 80. Passing, 85. Strength, 80. Match reports. Under 18 Premier League South. Saturday, October 24th. West Bromwich Albion Training Ground. West Bromwich Albion 1. Daha 6. Arsenal 3. Plange 30, 62. Sousa 31. Own goal. Arsenal under 18s. Gratzik, Norton Cuffey, Ave, Jeffcott, Hutchinson, Monlouis 57. Patino, Bandiera, Sweet, Henry Francis 65. Edwards, Plange, Flores, Butler Oyadeji 71. Unused subs, Ejeheri, Sagoe, Jr. We return to winning ways with a comfortable 3-1 victory at West Brom. Ken Gillard's side bounced back from their 5-0 defeat to Brighton in impressive style against the Baggies, delivering a controlled and mature performance. The hosts made a strong start to the game as they adopted a direct approach, and it paid off after just seven minutes with Sam O'Haha pouncing on a failed clearance to find the back of the net. This didn't dent our confidence though and on the half-hour mark we drew level as Luke Plonger received the ball with his back to goal, rolled his marker and fired a curling effort into the bottom corner. Karyon Edwards then went on to win a free kick 30 yards from goal in a dangerous position. Marcelo Flores stepped up to take it and his whip delivery forced Lino Souza into a clearance, but his header inadvertently beat Jamie Emery and handed us the lead completing our comeback in just 60 seconds. The hosts had a late chance to equalise on the stroke of half-time, but Hubert Gradzig produced a fine save to deny Jacob Shepard's header inside the area. We continued to dominate after the restart, and Plange made it three on the hour mark, climbing high inside the area to convert Mauro Bandieri's looping delivery. West Brom came close to reducing the deficit with chances for Ethan Ingram and Shepard, but once again, Gratzik was well positioned to clear the danger and we secured all three points. Premier League 2, Friday, October 30th, Meadow Park. Arsenal 0, Liverpool 1, Clayton 29. Arsenal under 23s, Gratzik, Norton Cuffey, Dinze, Kirk 40, Saliba, Taylor Hart 77, Lopez, Akinola, Aziz, Cottrell, McEnf, Sirjan, 5, Moller, Balogan, Unused Subs, Hilson, Idejo, Hubert Gratzik, Brooke Norton Cuffey and Kido Taylor Hart all made their debuts as our under-23s were beaten by Liverpool in the Premier League 2. William Saliba started and played 77 minutes, while summer signing Joel Idejo also featured in our matchday squad for the first time. It was an open game in the early exchanges, with both sides threatening on the break, but we were unfortunately forced into an early change as the injured Jordan McEnf was replaced by Kathleen Kierjan. Follerin Balogan, who made his first team debut the night prior, started brightly 
and carved out two promising chances, firing over following some fine footwork before Jack Kane dragged an effort wide for the visitors. Liverpool then took control, and after a patient passing move, Thomas Clayton found the bottom corner from the edge of the area. Following the restart, Belogan came close with a glancing header at the far post and called for a penalty after a challenge inside the area, but the referee waved away our claims. Ben Cottrell had a late chance to equalise following a searching pass from Saliba, only for his powerful effort to be blocked from close range. It was a frustrating evening at Meadow Park as our search for our first win in the PL2 season continues. But there was a late positive, as Taylor Hart was introduced for his debut and came close to equalising. Under 18 Premier League South, Saturday, October 31st, London Colney. Arsenal 5, Edward 6, Taylor Hart 13, 25, 62, Plunge 72. Norwich City 1, Matos 86. Arsenal under 18s, Ejeheri, Leng, Arway, Foran, Montlouis, Flores 79, Patino, Bandiera, Hutchinson, Edwards, Plonger, Vigar 75, Taylor Hart, Butler Oyadeji 70, Unused Subs, Mitchell, Henry Francis. Kido Taylor Hart hit a stunning hat-trick as our under-18 secured a valuable 5-1 win over Norwich City. Ken Gillard's side have now recorded back-to-back wins in the under-18 Premier League for the first time this season and subsequently find themselves just three points off the top of the table. The team were without Hubert Gratzik and Alex Kirk, though. Both were involved with the under-23s, so goalkeeper Ove Ejeheri made his debut. Taylor Floran also started in defence just days after making his Premier League 2 debut as an emergency goalkeeper. Norwich came into this fixture off the back of consecutive league defeats and we wasted no time in sinking their confidence further with Kayon Edwards racing free down the right to finish Taylor Hart's inviting through ball. Our second goal arrived in similar style to the first, only this time Taylor Hart pulled the trigger himself when he had a sight of goal firing into the bottom corner from 20 yards. Shortly afterwards, Taylor Hart doubled his tally with a stunning strike from distance, cutting inside from the left before finding the top right corner. The youngster had a golden chance to seal his hat-trick just before the break. Wriggling past three defenders and checking onto his weaker left foot, but his powerful effort was somehow tipped behind for a corner. He wouldn't have to wait much longer, as following the restart, Taylor Hart darted between two defenders down the right flank before fizzing a low drive beyond the reach of Sam Blair. The 18-year-old has now provided four goals and three assists in just six league appearances this term. We dominated the game from start to finish, playing some beautiful one-touch football, and late on we made it five with Luke Plonger converting Charlie Platino's inch-perfect delivery. Alex Matos struck late on for Norwich City, but it was nothing more than a blip in an otherwise perfect performance. Academy News Academy Loan Watch Eight of our Academy graduates featured for their loan clubs over the first weekend of November. James Oleinka played the full game as Southend lost 2-0 at Port Vale. Tom Pope hit a brace to leave the seasiders rooted to the bottom of League Two. 
Tola Jaibola was in action as Rochdale drew 1-1 with Bristol City in League One. Our 21-year-old defender started his fifth game in a row for Rochdale, but couldn't prevent Sam Nicholson giving Bristol City the lead after just nine minutes. Alex Newby then equalised to share the spoils. Harry Clark played the full match as Oldham lost 2-0 to Salford. Goals from James Wilson and Ashley Hunter were enough to secure all three points at Moor Lane. Mark McGuinness played in his second consecutive clean sheet as Ipswich beat Crewe 1-0 at Portman Road. Our 19-year-old centre-back played the full match as his side moved up to second in League One. Ben Chafe played the full match as Coventry picked up a much-needed three points at home to Reading. The 3-2 victory at St Andrews lifts them out of the relegation zone and up to 20th in the Championship. Matt Smith was in action as Swindon beat Hull City 2-1. Goals from Paul Caddis and Joel Grant were enough after Keane Lewis Potter's early strike. Trey Coyle played just four minutes for Gillingham as they were beaten 2-0 by Sunderland at Priestfield Stadium. Our young winger replaced Jordan Graham. Zek Medley also featured for Gillingham, playing the full match as his side fell to 17th in the table. The Gills have now lost each of their last five games in League One. Norton Cuffey steps up for our under-23s. With injuries to Daniel Oyeguke and Ryan Alebiosu, Brooke Norton Cuffey has been handed a golden opportunity to prove his worth at under-23 level. The 16-year-old only made his under-18 debut back in October, starting in a 3-2 defeat against West Ham. But he's since been fast-tracked to our injury hit under-23 side. With no recognised right-backs, Norton Cuffey made his Premier League 2 debut for Steve Bould's side against Liverpool last week, providing an attacking threat down the right flank. The England youth international is a technical and direct player, who looked comfortable in possession and composed while defending. Keep it up, Brook. Academy alumni. Catching up with former Arsenal Academy players as they continue their pro careers away from Emirates. Steffi Mavididi. It was a special weekend for former Arsenal Academy striker Steffi Mavididi. The 22-year-old signed for Montpellier in League One in the summer and made his most telling contribution yet for La Palieda, with the only goal in a 1-0 win over Saint-Étienne to move Montpellier to ninth in the French top flight. Steffi joined the Arsenal Academy from Southend as a 13-year-old, becoming a scholar in the summer of 2014. He made good progress in the academy, with an excellent strike rate of 21 goals in 43 games for the under-23s, and five in 18 UEFA under-19 matches. He enjoyed spells on loan with Preston North End and Charlton, scoring twice with the latter, before an eye-catching move to Juventus in August 2018. With the Bianconeri, he played 36 times for their under-23 side, scoring seven times and made one first-team appearance. Last season, he headed on loan to Dijon in France, where an excellent season in League One featuring eight goals and two assists in 28 games, alerted Montpellier, who paid Juventus £5 million for Steffi's services on June 30th this year. In his first season on the Mediterranean coast, Steffi has played eight times and scored twice, 
as well as his winner against Saint-Étienne, he also scored the opening goal in a 1-1 draw at AS Monaco last month. Our 14th game in Europe. In August, we lifted the FA Cup for a record-extending 14th time. But it's not just our rich, illustrious history and football's oldest knockout competition that is synonymous with the number 14. It happened on the 14th, 14th of September 2017. Arsenal 3, Cologne 1, Europa League. Our first ever Europa League campaign got off to a delayed start. Hosting German side Cologne near the beginning of the 2017-18 season, crowd trouble caused by the hordes of Cologne fans caused an hour delay to kick off and even threatened to call off the game entirely. An estimated 20,000 German fans travelled to London for the game, despite receiving an official allocation of just 2,900. But once the game did start, at 9.05pm, John Cordoba put the visitors ahead after just nine minutes. But we took over in the second half, equalising through Seat Kolasinac before goals from Alexis Sanchez and Hector Bellerin gave us maximum points. Ajax 0, Arsenal 1, 1970, European First Cup, semi-final, second leg. Thursday's match against Molde was our 318th game in European competition. Match number 14 came 50 years ago, during our second-ever European Cup campaign. In 1969-70, six years after our first foray into European competition, we entered the European First Cup. Our first match was against Northern Irish side Glentoran, and after they were dispatched 3-1 on aggregate, we also saw off Sporting Lisbon 3-0 on aggregate, Rouen 1-0, and Dynamo Baku of Romania 9-1 to set up a semi-final clash with Dutch giants Ajax. The first leg at Highbury was just our 13th European fixture, but to this day it remains one of the most memorable. The mighty Ajax side included the likes of Johan Cruyff and would go on to win the European Cup in each of the next three seasons, but they were no match for Bertie Mee's gunners. Charlie George scored in each half, and John Samuels netted one in between to record a thumping 3-0 win to take to Amsterdam. That second leg was our 14th European game, and although the hosts triumphed 1-0 this time, Thanks to a Gary Murren goal in the 17th minute, we held on to progress 3-1 on aggregate. It booked our place in the final, and games 15 and 16 in the European competition proved even more historic, as we beat Anderlecht 3-1 over two legs to claim our first European silverware. Forward Arsenal. Forward Arsenal. Arsenal Football Club prides itself on always looking forward, so we're asking our players to gaze into the future to see what's on the horizon. This week, Syed Kalausinak. How much do you plan your week ahead? Do you know what you'll be doing every day in training? 
Well, we don't really know exactly what we'll be doing in each session, but we do have a schedule that tells us what the plan is for the week. Then ahead of the season, they tell us exactly where we're going to work on that day. At the moment, we're doing similar things in training, which is usually the routines and preparations ahead of the next game. What type of training do you look forward to the most? I like to play in the small games. We play four against four or five against five, sometimes on smaller pitches, and I really like that. Of course, I love the rondos as well, but they're a bit more fun. They're very useful and a very good practice. Do you look at the fixture list as much to see what games are coming up? Of course, I look to see what the next few matches are. I know exactly what we got coming up. I would say I would look at the games for the next three to four weeks. So if you ask me what the games are, I would know. What are your emotions on the night before the game? I'm relaxed. Usually if we're at a team hotel, I would get some treatment from the medical team, then always have a team dinner together. After that, I spend some time in my room. I can usually call my wife. I might watch a series or a movie after that, and then I go to bed. I like to keep it all relaxed. How much, personally, do you plan for the next opposition? Yeah, I do that, of course, but usually two or three days before the game, I look at the opponent that I might be on the right against me and I see what he's doing, if he's doing well so well, what he likes to play, what information you can get about that play and to play against him. Looking further ahead, what do you think you'll be in five years' time? Well, I'd like to still be on the pitch. I will be 32, but the most important thing is that you are fine and healthy. So if I'm healthy and I'm feeling good, then I hope I'm still playing. Have you ever thought much about what you do at the end of your playing career? No, not yet. What I want to do is finish, first of all, and then just switch off and enjoy time with my wife and our baby and our dogs and spend more time with them. Because at the end of the day, we play a lot of games and you spend a lot of time away from your family. So that's what you do. And that's what I'd like to do. And to be honest, I don't really know yet. So is there anything specific that you would like to do with your family after your career? I'd like to travel but I don't have anywhere exact that we want to go yet. We've been to a few places together already, and we've really enjoyed discovering new places, so we will continue to do that. Where do you think you will live after your playing days? In Germany again, I think. I don't know, in life, but right now, I would expect to go back there. What do you want to achieve in your career before that, though? Oh, there are loads of things. Every day you can achieve and learn and get better the most important thing in life is willing to learn at the end of the day nobody is perfect and you can always achieve and learn more everyone can in football and in life wherever i train or play games i will always want to learn from it i couldn't tell you something specific that i want to achieve but i see every day as an opportunity and i'd like to learn more finally you are told there is a spare seat on the next trip to the moon do you go to the moon no not for me too risky and too far away. I don't want to go. I might not come back. <laughs> In a dream world, what would your next meal be? I'd like to have some Bosnian food with my mother. Maybe some Balek or some Sama. New car? I don't know. Maybe I'll buy my mother a new car. So I would ask what she would like. If you're asking for me, I have no idea. Holiday destination? I'd like to go to Sardinia with my family. Trophy you'd like to win? Right now? The Premier League, of course. New team, mate. There's a lot of good players. For me, I'd like to go for Benzema 
I love him as a player and it will be great to see how he trained and how he played because I've liked him as a player for a long time. My Story The Arsenal Foundation The Market Project Making a Difference The work of the Arsenal Foundation and the partners and initiatives it supports have touched the lives of a great number of people in a variety of ways. The Arsenal Foundation has helped to fund the Market Project, a youth-led arts engagement project centred around the former market estate run by the Plaisance Theatre and the Working Party. Baba, 19, from Islington, reveals how that support helped him to make a documentary about knife crime. I faced many challenges growing up. At a point, my family was very poor and secondary school was a struggle. It was hard to hide the poverty I faced, not being able to replace ripped blazers, clothes always being old. I also had to battle all the negative influences that come alongside living and growing up in a poor area. I found the market project and the working party by picking up a leaflet at my local football pitches. It caught my attention and I decided to contact Matthew Schmoll, who introduced me to the team and got me set up. I told Matthew what my goals were. I wanted to make a documentary. So, we planned how I would go about doing that, and they supported me at every stage. I interviewed people from different backgrounds and classes to see an array of perspectives on youth violence. Then we edited the footage. We showcased the project at a live music event at the Plaisance Theatre, which I produced with the Working Party support, as well as previewing the film at the Market Project's public performance last October. I've always wanted to do a documentary about the wide range of views on knife crime in the UK, where I was able to get the opinions of people in a variety of occupations and of differing class positions. I never had the resources to do this before, but thanks to the Working Party, I was able to do it with professional equipment. The project taught me about different types of equipment and editing software, and also got me in contact with people I wouldn't have the chance to talk to, such as Labour councillor Sarah Hyde and a barrister. Right now, I'm still collaborating with the Working Party to produce a live music event, Shell It, at Stratum Space Project, that will showcase artists I work with through my YouTube platform, Verbal Entertainment. Fingers crossed, we'll hold it next March, if COVID lets us. I have many ambitions for the future. I want to scale up Verbal Entertainment to compete with platforms such as GRM Daily and Press Play Media. I also want to get into artist management and currently manage an artist called DIMS, and I want to be able to give back to the younger generation of working-class youth and be a role model to them. I'm grateful to all those who have helped me, including the Arsenal Foundation. I feel it's very important for football clubs to give back to the community, because without the community, football is nothing. For info, visit theworkingpartyuk.org, plaisance.co.uk and... Baba's YouTube channel, Verbal Entertainment. <laughs>
The Visitors, Aston Villa by Mike Hammond. Formed 1874. Nickname, The Villa, The Lions. Stadium, Villa Park. Capacity, 42,749. Honours, First Division Stroke Premier League. Winners, 1893-94, stroke 1895-96, stroke 1896-97, stroke 1898-99, stroke 1899-1900, stroke 1909-10, stroke 1980-81. Stroke Second Division Stroke Championship. Winners, 1937-38, stroke 1959-60. Stroke FA Cup winners, 1887, 1895, 1897, 1905-1930, 1920-1951. League Cup winners, 1961-1975-1977-1994-1996. Charity Shield winners, 1898. European Cup winners, 1982. European Super Cup winners, 1982. Intertoto Cup winners, 2001. Owners, Nassif Sawiris, Wes Edens. Chairman. Nasif Sawiris. Social followers. Twitter, 1.4 million. Instagram, 927,000. Facebook, 3.3 million. In this crazy, unpredictable 2020-21 Premier League season, nothing, it seems, is impossible. Aston Villa's start to the campaign in particular has pushed the boundaries of the bizarre. Seemingly destined to an immediate return to the championship for much of last season, the 2018-19 playoff winners eventually escaped the drop by the skin of their teeth. So despite a second successive summer of heavy investment, nobody could have imagined that Villa would kick off the new campaign with four straight victories, and that one of them would be a 7-2 home win against reigning champions Liverpool. But since that amazing start which also comprised wins against Sheffield United, 1-0 home, Fulham, 3-0 away, and Leicester, 1-0 away. Birmingham's finest have, equally incredulously, lost two successive home games in jaw-dropping fashion. Two weeks ago, they suffered a Friday night horror show, conceding three second-half Patrick Bamford goals to lose 3-0 to newly promoted Leeds. Then last Sunday lunchtime, they let in three goals without reply in the first half to Southampton and even went four down before a late rally brought the final scoreline back to a more respectable 4-3. But although Dean Smith's side have slipped down the table to eighth, they are still on the same number of points as Arsenal, 12, having played one game fewer, the consequence of their opening day fixture away to Manchester City being postponed. And had most Villa fans been asked at the season's outset, whether they would take that at the start of November, all but the most fiercely optimistic would have replied in the affirmative. Last season saw Villa return to the Premier League after three seasons in the Championship, and for most of the campaign, the seven-time champions of England look fated to go straight back down. 
Placed 19th at the point of the March lockdown, Villa added just two points to their total in the first six games after the summer restart. Fortunately for them, however, Watford and Bournemouth also failed to gain any momentum, and when Villa finally found form at the end of term, it was enough to keep them up. A 1-0 home win against Arsenal in their penultimate fixture effectively carrying them to safety. It was not all toil and trouble for Villa last season, though. They were within one win of lifting their first major trophy for 24 years, only to be denied by a valiant 2-1 defeat to holders Manchester City in the final of the Carabao Cup. There will be no repeat this season, as Villa have already gone out of that competition, losing 1-0 at home to Stoke, after earlier wins at Burton Albion 3-1 and Bristol City 3-0. Those results mean that the Villains have won all four away fixtures so far this season. And despite those recent reverses at home, that will surely provide a source of confidence to Smith and his players as they take on Arsenal at Emirates Stadium this evening. Successful at both clubs. Mutual admiration. Kevin Richardson was one of the Gunners' unsung heroes in the epic 1988-89 league title campaign on the right side of midfield. His title-winning experience at Everton proved invaluable for a young team. 1988-89 stroke was the middle campaign of three at Highbury. He played in the League Cup final at the end of his first season, and in all he played 122 games for George Graham's team, scoring eight goals. After a season at Real Sociedad, Richardson headed to Villa Park and was ever-present for two seasons captaining Ron Atkinson's team to a runner-up spot in the Premier League and lifting the League Cup after beating Man United at Wembley 3-1, when he won the Man of the Match award. At the end of that season, he also won his only England cap. The following season, Villa started poorly and Atkinson was sacked in November 1994, swiftly becoming manager of Coventry City, where Richardson joined him in February 1995. In all, he played 129 times for Villa, scoring 10 times. First impression. Reproducing the oldest action picture in our archives featuring today's opponents. It's April 7th, 1923, and Arsenal's John Mackey and Aston Villa's Billy Walker fly into a challenge, watched by the Gunners' Billy Blythe at Villa Park. The game ended in a 1-1 draw, with Blythe getting Arsenal's goal and Walker scoring Villas in front of 18,000 supporters. It was a good result for Leslie Knighton's Arsenal, who were ending the season strongly after being bottom of the table on Christmas Day. An ultimate finish of 11th in the table was encouraging, four points behind Villa who finished 6th as Liverpool won the title. Right-back Mackey was a Northern Ireland international who played 119 games for Arsenal, one goal, across four seasons. Billy Walker is a Villa legend, their all-time leading goalscorer, with 244 goals in 531 games. He also scored 9 in 18 for England. Billy Blythe was one of the star names for the Gunners after the First World War, playing 343 games, including in our first FA Cup final in 1927, and scoring 51 goals. Scouting Report by Michael Cox Having previously boasted the Premier League's last remaining 100% record, 
Aston Villa have been brought back down to earth in the last couple of games, conceding seven goals in defeats to Leeds and Southampton. Nevertheless, 12 points from their opening six matches must still be considered an excellent start for Dean Smith's side, especially when you consider their struggles last season. In fairness, three of Villa's four concessions against Southampton last weekend were unstoppable long-range strikes, and their defensive performance has improved significantly. The arrival of Emiliano Martinez has helped. The former Arsenal goalkeeper has continued his fine form since moving to Villa Park. The rise of Esri Concer has also been important, with Tyrone Mings looking more settled alongside him. They were both excellent in the 1-0 victory over Arsenal towards the end of last season, and both have offered an attacking threat in set pieces too. Mings usually makes runs to the near post, and Concer prefers to linger at the far. Villa aren't quite as assured out wide. Matty Cash, who arrived from Nottingham Forest on the summer, still feels a little like a converted winger learning how to play right back, while on the opposite flank, Matt Target can be guilty of defensive errors and conceded a penalty in the 1-0 win over Sheffield United with a clumsy tackle. On that occasion, Martinez came to his rescue. Smith has used both 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3 this season and switched between both systems in the 1-0 victory over Leicester. Either way, his most defensive midfielder is Douglas Luiz who sits solidly in front of the defence and breaks up play. His closest support is John McGinn, who is capable of pushing forward and offers a wonderful range of passing. The player who varies his role most significantly between the two systems is Ross Barkley, who enjoyed a fine debut as a number 10 in the incredible 7-2 victory over Liverpool, but has also been brought back into a three-man midfield to push forward from a left centre position. Villa's danger man remains Jack Grealish, who now looks at home in his left-sided position. He loves cutting inside onto his right foot and bending the ball inside the far post, but last weekend scored an excellent goal by smashing it inside the near post. He's also capable of excellent through balls for midfield runners or centre-forward Ole Watkins, who scored a hat-trick against Liverpool and works the channels well. Trezeguet, who smashed home a loose ball to settle the game at Villa Park in July, is likely to complete the starting eleven on the right flank. Speedy newcomer Bertrand Traore was selected ahead of the Egyptian against Southampton last weekend, but only lasted half an hour before limping off and being replaced by Trezeguet. Otherwise, this is one of the most settled starting elevens in the Premier League, and while two straight defeats would generally invite changes, Evidence from the first four games suggests Smith has found the right balance. Arsenal women. News and reports from England's most successful women's football team. Continental League Cup, Prince's Park, Dartford, Wednesday, November the 4th. Vivian Medema scored all four goals as we ran out in winners over London City Lionesses in the FA Women's Continental League Cup on Wednesday night. Fran Stenston made her debut for the club and produced an outstanding save to keep a clean sheet, whilst Jill Rord, Kim Little 
and Leon Mailer made their respective returns from injury. Four Academy products were named on our bench in Denton, Pierce, Gerrard, with Ruby Mace playing the entirety of the second half. We wasted no time in asserting our dominance at Prince's Park, pinning the hosts back and forcing them to defend from the edge of the penalty area. And just after 21 minutes, Medima opened the scoring. The Netherlands international picked up the ball on the halfway line, shrugged off two defenders and fired into the bottom corner. Shortly afterwards, she combined with Caitlin Ford 30 yards past the goal before shifting the ball away from her marker, dribbling on the left side of the area and finishing across the keeper. Our number 11 was in inspired form and with five minutes remaining of the first half, she sealed her hat-trick, latching onto Jill Rude's squared pass to find the top corner. Following the restart, we came close through Ford and Danielle van de Donk, but once again, it was Medima who found the back of the net storming into the penalty area and firing low to further our advantage. Van de Donk provided the assist, but it was Medima who carved open the chance with some fine footwork. With a comfortable lead, Joe Mamomro opted for the number of tactical and personal changes on the hour mark, with Maya and Little replacing Lottie Wurben, Moy and Medima. We switched to the back flea and Leia Watter on the right, Vicky Shadder back in the middle, and Leah Williamson on the left. Mayer and McCabe then operated wing-back and forward leading the line. This saw us create a number of golden chances in the closing stages. First, Ford's low dived from the edge of the area, hit the woodwork, before Matlin Gutt had a chance to open her account. Waltzing through the host defence, only to fire a tame effort straight at the goalkeeper. With the potential with a goal difference to play a key role in our programme and progression, from Group B, we continue to push forward in our search for our fifth, but we're unable to provide that all-important last touch. Continental Cup qualification. Arsenal qualification for the last eight into the League Cup looks to be in the balance. The six group winners qualify plus the two best second-place teams will progress in the sort of quarterfinals. Due to one of the six groups having three teams rather than four, the rankings are based only on the results between the second place and the third place teams in their group. So the Gunners are likely to require a big win over Tottenham to get into the last eight. Currently, the other five teams leading their group are Man City, West Ham, Leicester City, Durham and Bristol City. Vivs into the 80s. Four goals to prolific Vivian Medima bounced her total goals tally for the Gunners up to 83. Remarkably, her appearance on Thursday was just her 85th for the Gunners. The countdown to the century is on for Viv. Europa League Match Day 3, 8pm Thursday, November 5th, Emirates Stadium. Arsenal 4, Mulder 1. Nicolas Pepe set up an early chance for Eddie and Ketia but his shot was diverted wide by the faintest of touches from goalkeeper Andreas Linder. Aside from that, we were pretty flat, and we paid the price when Mulder snatched the lead. Bernd Leno's clearance to Nketia was headed away, and with our defence out of position, Martin Ellingson advanced to curl a left footer past Leno from long range. We needed something to ignite us in the final third, and on the stroke of half-time, Joe Willock obliged with a determined run into the box to meet Nketiah's square pass after Granite Zaka led a breakaway. 
In trying to keep the ball from Willock, Christopher Haugen touched it past his own keeper. Second half. We went up a gear after the break and forced Mulder back. Sead Kolasinac looked certain to put us ahead when Linda palmed Willock's cross to his feet, but he shot over. We quickly made amends thanks to another burst in the box from Willock. This time, the midfielder linked up with Zaka and regained his balance after stumbling to fire the ball across goal. Sheriff Sinyan waved a leg at it and we had our second own goal. Mulder retained a threat on the break through the pacey Mathis Bolly, but we were well on top by now. Pepe put the result beyond doubt and Willock finally got the goal he deserved with a deft first touch and unerring finish after Pepe had played him in. My Arsenal. My Arsenal. Name, Andrew Garrett, gold member. Live in Hornchurch, Essex. Occupation, chartered accountant. Why are you an Arsenal fan? My dad is an Arsenal fan and took me to my first game back in 1994. It's been a love affair ever since. First Arsenal game versus Coventry in 1994. I watched Ian Wright score both goals in a 2-1 win from the Junior Gunners enclosure. Favourite Arsenal game. I was in Prague to see Thierry Henry become our record goal scorer. That was a very special moment that capped off a fantastic trip to a wonderful city. Match day routine. Get into the ground early and soak up the atmosphere and build up. Favourite place to eat before a game. The quality fish bar in Finsbury Park. I love to meet my dad and cousin Paul and have a good chat about the game over fish and chips. How do you feel when you approach the ground? Super proud and super excited. I still remember walking to my first game and seeing the North Bank appear and being so excited. Furthest you've travelled to watch Arsenal play. Turin to see us grab a draw in the Champions League quarter-final back in 2006. Best place in the stadium to watch games from. I have my season ticket in the upper tier of the East Stand. I like to be able to see the match and tactics pan out. It's like a game of chess from up there. Do you collect any memorabilia? I'm fanatical. Programs, handbooks, everyone since 1930. Shirts, autographs. I have a seat from Highbury and also a sign that says to block D to F. Great memories. Favourite ever shirt. Invincible's home shirt. Brings back great memories of watching them week in, week out. All-time favourite player. Thierry Henry. Skill, power, pace, technique. I don't think I'll ever see a better player live. Cult hero. Ray Parler came from my local area, and it's great to see a local lad go so far, win so much. Best goal you've seen live. Thierry Henry's volley versus Man United in 2000. I was behind the goal. You knew it was in the minute it left his foot. Best debut performance you've ever seen. Freddie Lundberg versus Man United. He scored a wonderful lob. You can erase one Arsenal moment from history. Champions League final in 2006. If only we had VAR then. You can be present at any Arsenal match in history. Winning the league at White Hart Lane. You can play in any team in history. Invincibles. I'd be CB. Sit back and watch them play the other teams off the park. 
Five reasons to love Arsenal. 1. Going with the family. 2. Our history. 3. Our success. 4. Our traditions. 5. The wonderful football. 5. Favourite games. 1. Winning league at Highbury, 04. 2. Sparta Prague away, 2005. 3. Winning league at Highbury, 98. 4. FA Cup final versus Chelsea, 2020. 5. FA Cup Final vs Sheffield Wednesday, 1993. Teams For Arsenal, manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts and socks. 1. Bernd Leno, goalkeeper. 2. Hector Bellerin. 3. Kieran Tierney. 4. William Saliba 5. Socrates Papastathopoulos 6. Gabriel 7. Bukayo Saka 8. Danny Ceballos 9. Alexandre Lacazette 10. Mesut Ozil 12. William 13. Alex Runason, goalkeeper 14. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang 15. Ainsley Maitland-Niles 16. Rob Holding 17. Cedric Suarez 18. Thomas Partey 19. Nicolas Pepe 20. Schroeder Mustafi 21. Callum Chambers 22. Pablo Mori 23. David Lewis 24. Reese Nelson 25. Mohamed Elneny 28. Joe Willock 30. Eddie Nketiah 31. Sid Kolasinac 32. Emil Smith-Rowe 33. Matt Macy, goalkeeper 34. Granite Sharka 35. Gabriel Martinelli 38. Follerin Balogun For Aston Villa, manager Dean Smith Black shirt, shorts and socks 1. Tom Heaton, goalkeeper 2. Matthew Cash 3. Neil Taylor 4. Esri Konsa 5. Tyrone Mings 6. Douglas Lewis 7. John McGinn 8. Henry Lansbury 9. Wesley 10. Jack Grealish 11. Ollie Watkins 12. Jed Steer, goalkeeper 14. Connor Hurihan 15. Bertrand Traore 17. Trezeguet 18. Matt Target 19. Marvellous Nakamba 20. Ross Barkley 21. Anwar Al-Ghazi 22. Bjorn Engels 24. Frederick Goubert 26. Emiliano Martinez, goalkeeper 27. Ahmed Al-Mohamedi 28. Lovra Kalinic, goalkeeper 30. Courtney Howes 39. Keenan Davis 41. Jacob Ramsey Match officials Referee Martin Atkinson Assistant referees Konstantin Hadzidakis Nick Hopton Fourth official Graham Scott VAR official David Coote Additional VAR official Stephen Child The Arsenal Foundation Helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. Today's other fixtures. 
West Bromwich Albion vs Tottenham Hotspur at 12pm. Leicester City vs Wolverhampton Wanderers at 2pm. Manchester City vs Liverpool at 4.30pm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time to step up your cyber protection. Get hashtag cyber fit with Acronis. Learn more. Acronis, official partner of Arsenal. Arsenal are home. New 2020 to 21 home kit. On sale in store and online. Take your seat. Sky Sports. Feel it all. Premier League. Official Premier League app. Manage your fantasy team and receive the latest Premier League updates. Free to download. Download on the App Store. Get it on Google Play. Available at Amazon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.